some of the menu items and one of them included space waffles that I had to look it up. And apparently we've seen space waffles in um, in Rebels. Uh, it makes a couple of appearances. They're basically waffles with drank. Were they, I wonder if they're in Dak's Diner too. Possibly. Basically a waffle, waffle house. It's the interplanetary house of waffles. It's iPop. Welcome to Death Watch, a serial watchcast about Disney, Star Wars, The Mandalorian. I'm Mike Bennett. And I'm Chris Skull. And today, we'll be talking about the season two finale, entitled Chapter 16, The Rescue. This episode was written by Jon Favreau and directed by Peyton Reed. So normally we take some time to break down the writers and directors uh, at this stage of the, of the podcast, but we'd actually like to take a moment to thank all of you, the listeners, who've been with us for the last... 16 weeks. It's been an, an interesting experience, uh, a fun journey for Mike and I, and we just wanted to show our appreciation for everybody who's been with us so far. Yeah, it's been great getting to know some of our new fans. Um, cool getting to reconnect with some of our old friends, and um, we hope to continue to do a version of this show during the intermediate periods with the Mandalorian seasons and looking ahead to all the new Disney projects that are out there too. So I mean, we've got 12 months to figure it out. So <laughs> we do. It's going to be great. So um, I think uh, there's no reason to go into errors and omissions from last week because our guest host, Emilio, was so on the button and perhaps even too on the button sometimes. <laughs> so I don't think there's anything to cover there. So why don't we jump right in to today's episode? So we open up right away with action um slave one and the iconic pew 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 pew, pew sound of his <laughs> rapid blaster um just love that sound couldn't get enough of it from the original prequel movies and even through the clone war series it's awesome um and they're hunting down a lambda shuttle which we've we've seen that shuttle a ton originally in the the original movie series it was the imperial shuttle that they used and they use it throughout the rest of the series. Um, but it's got Dr. Pershing on board, and he's obviously on his way to meet up with Moff Gideon. And um, he, I love the like the sass that the <laughs> pilots give to him. Um, he's like, oh, I think they're trying to get us. And like, shut up and sit down. <laughs> it was like, literally, the equivalent, literally the equivalent of them saying, shut up, nerd. Yeah. It's like, really, this isn't, we're not this isn't your laboratory. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm, you know cowering in fear over you know not wanting to die while you guys are piloting in space you know not my fault yeah for real um and then the the kill blow here the slave one has ion cannons mounted on it mm -hmm. he take he shoots him with two ions cannons and disables the ship how does not every ship have an ion cannon i, I know i've made fun of this maybe not on the podcast before but like in in the uh, this in the Empire Strikes Back, when the ion cannon on the Hoth base is just one shot killing all the star destroyers <laughs> in space, and I'm like, how are these not everywhere? And how did like how did they not just put a bunch of ion cannons on Mon Calamari cruisers and just take out the entire <laughs> Imperial fleet? I don't understand why all it takes is a little ion cannon and you can disable an entire ship. How are they not everywhere? I don't know, man. I wish I had an answer for okay. that. Plot points. Anyway. Maybe it just shows how epic that this ship is. But anyway, they they uh, come alongside. You can hear them talking about the pirates. The, they're sort of talking through how they're going to address what happens when they come on board. They're just going to let them take whatever they want. 
Um, they don't want to get involved. As soon as the slave one docks, uh, Mando walks off the ship. I believe Dr. Pershing knows exactly who this is. Um, and maybe Mando sort of introduces himself. He's like, we've met before. Or they, cause they, yeah, the guys say, I don't think, you know, this is Dr. Pershing and Mando's like, we've met. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then there's this really interesting, like tie in here that one of these two pilots was on the death star. Which one? When it destroyed Alderaan. Yeah. Which one was a little <laughs> taunt from Cara Dune. Um, but he's also taunting her cause he can see her tear tattoo, which yeah. I guess signifies that she was from Alderaan. And, um, and he says, I was on the Death Star when they destroyed your planet, which, you know, I was trying to do the math at what kind, I guess he took a shuttle in the, I guess the, the movie lasts several hours, but anyway, he was on there at some point when they destroyed the Alderaan and then he left the Death Star shortly after mm -hmm. he, he has to be one of the few survivors who saw Alderaan, yeah. but didn't get blown up by the explosion. Um, Anyway, he kills the other pilot who seems to be like negotiating a little bit. He's like, look, I'm not, let's just get over this. And he's like, boom, takes him right out and then grabs Dr. Pershing. And then I believe it's Kara. Yeah. Just shoots him right in the face. Mm -hmm. She's had enough of this Alderaan destroyer. And we cut to the credits, which we learned this episode's titled The Rescue, obviously. Yeah. Well, we knew this was sort of building to it for three. Yeah. Yeah. Mando's been getting the crew back together um, one by one. And uh, speaking of that, the the last piece of the puzzle, as it were, is... Um, did you catch what planet this was? No. No, no I don't think they mentioned it. It was just sort of an unknown unknown planet. With a bunch of like factory buildings. Mm -hmm. And then they land at what we find out is like a tavern. But as they're landing, we as they come down in the Slave One, we get the like iconic, uh, like sharp winged double wings of the of a Mandalorian ship. Yeah, the Gauntlet so we, like, uh, Starfighter. Is that what it's called? Yeah, um, yeah, I love it, and it's it's kind of like Slave One in that it has like a an up and down position and how it flies or how it lands. Um, so it was, yeah. As soon as we see that, we know what's happening. Um, that we're here to see Bo-Katan. And as soon as we walk in, we see her with um, Cosca Reeves sitting at the table, again, played by Mercedes Renato. Or sorry. Well, that's uh, her real name, Mercedes but her, John, her stage name gotcha. is uh, Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks. I didn't realize she had an AKA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's sitting there. And uh, what, what were they? Did you see what they're eating? I didn't see what they were eating, but I can see, I, I found out what was on the menu. And there was a bunch of stuff. Uh, one of them is veg meat, which for some reason is um, it's real, even though it's an oxymoron. Uh, but then there's something called space waffles. It's the it's the plant burger. What do you call it? The um, Impossible Burger. <laughs> it's the Impossible Burger. So, so they're, they're, Star Wars they're has Impossible eating, Meat. They're basically eating Impossible Burgers and space waffles. That's literally That's awesome. what they're eating. That's great. Um, I love that detail. Was it written up on a, like a menu? Yeah, Orbesh it was. So there's a there's a menu board like adjacent to them in Orbesh, and I found out um, some of the menu items, and one of them included space waffles that I had to look it up. And apparently, we've seen space waffles in uh, in Rebels. Uh, okay. It makes a couple of appearances. They're basically waffles. Oh, with was train. it when they when they meet the one guy on that the one clone who got stranded on that desert planet? With yeah, the I droid think so. Mission. Okay. 
Were they? I wonder if they're in Dax Diner too. Possibly. Uh, in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Um, it's basically a waffle, anyway, waffle House. Waffle House. It's a, It's the interplanetary house of waffles. <laughs> it's I, I pop. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. Like we this. definitely need to put an I pop. That's going to be a shirt on, now. Our, on our Instagram. Intergalactic. Um, intergalactic House of Pancakes. Got it. Mando comes in, says he needs Bo Katan's help to get the kid from Gideon, and Bo Katan's just like, "If he's got him, you're not going to find him. It's over." Um, and Mando's like, "Well, I've got the coordinates," and immediately like perks up her interest. The same way when Mando talks to Cara Dune, and he's like, "Oh, these they're Imperial, or they've got the kid," and she's like, "Oh, never mind. I'm, I'm in." Um, She's like, so wait, you can take me to Moff Gideon? Like it all, all of a sudden becomes about her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mando's here to get something for him and she immediately makes it about herself. Um, but, and then mixed in this conversation is this interesting stuff with Boba Fett because he's with him. Like the two of them walk in to talk to the two of them and they're both, you know, the two of them are sort of non-traditional Mandalorians, right? Mm-hmm. And Bo-Katan and Sasha Banks are, are traditional Mandalorians. And um, Boba, like when Bo-Katan says we won't find him, Boba Fett says like, "Well, let's leave. We don't need him." And she hears his voice, and she's like, "She knows." Just like in the last episode, when she's like, "I think they'll recognize my face." Yeah, he, um, she's like, "I recognize your voice. You're a clone. That's not your armor." They may she's have like, also known him by his father's. reputation too. You know, it's possible. It's hard to tell because they didn't. I feel like they would have said something like you know, went to him before he spoke. Like maybe they would have seen his armor and said like, what are you doing here with him? Maybe as opposed to like all of a sudden she heard the voice and seemed triggered. She may have either known him by his reputation and, or known Django. Cause he mentions his dad. Like I, I got, this was my father's armor. Like it was just, my father's. Oh, you mean your donor? Yeah. Like your donor backhanded comment. Yeah. And, um, I well, lo- I lo- and it's like, I, Go ahead. I was going to say um, her other retort, or his retort rather, where she goes, he's not a real Mandalorian. I love he's like, I never said I was. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like right. I'm not even going to admit that I, I'm a real, I don't care. That's, that just goes to show you his personality is that he he doesn't care about lineage or anything like that. He, he really does care about the self. Yeah, and even when he introduced himself to Mando at, on Tython, he's like, "Are you a Mandalorian?" He's like, "I've no, I've taken no." Or he said, "Have you taken the creed?" He said, "I I I serve no one but myself." Like, mm-hmm. so he's he's pretty consistent on that line. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was going to say too, what we brought up this point that uh, the irony is that the first you know clone troopers of the Empire. Um, and the early transition period when the empire likely took over Mandalore, those stormtroopers were, um, were, you know, clones of a Mandalorian themselves. And so Bo-Katan fought, likely fought many Django or Boba Fett sounding people in, in stormtrooper armor. So she seems probably even more like set up to hate that voice and, be um, offended that he's wearing the armor of her people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that all happens. And then when they're kind of arguing about it, then 
Sasha Banks goes and by the way, her, tries to pile drive her, him. Her, her character's name is Cosca Reeves. But if you want, we could just I know. we could just call her Sasha Banks from now on. Which is already she's she's really just a wrestler wearing <laughs> Mandalorian armor. armor. So yeah, yeah. But she does it like she did it back on on um, the on the planet where she was fighting the Quran. Mm-hmm. She does it here too, where she grabs him and like does a backflip and engages her jetpack to like accentuate the move and yeah. like flip both her Fett extra over momentum. Like, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I loved seeing that jetpack used for something other than just flying around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, and it does show you how it, it must be in some way like in tune to like a bionic sensor in their helmet or something because it really just worked exactly with her movement. Um, and uh, yeah, what's your note here calling the Oh, yeah. To, so when, uh, what is that? when Costa Reeves looks over to um, Boba Fett, like, oh, the sidekick talks, which is like, First of all, are you also the sidekick? <laughs> yeah. And second of all, he he um he quips to her, "Well, if it's if that isn't the quack to calling the stifling slimy." And I feel like I have no I looked it up and I I don't know what any of those things are, but I can only imagine it's their version of saying, you know, the pot calling the kettle black kind of thing. Yeah. That's great. So, we cut from this bar scene, Pokatan is accepted to join the mission. They're on the Lambda shuttle planning out the plan of attack. They're looking at like a hologram of the of Moff Gideon's light cruiser. And Bo-Katan herself starts to like narrate where they need to go. And she says something like, back in the days of the Empire, he had 700 plus troopers on board, but now it's a much more limited garrison. And Dr. Pershing, who's sitting there, kind of butts in. He's like, uh, yes, but not entirely correct. He actually has a platoon and, uh, and like, as he's saying it, she's like, like, shut up. You're not part of this. And he's like, look, I'm not lying. He has an entire garrison of dark troopers on board. And then tells them though, that they, and he points out what bay they might be in, in the ship and says that they take time to power up, which is, you know, a plot device to put some pressure on this, this attack that they're going to have, that they need to get to them before they get powered up. Um, and we kind of saw it even on Tython, when they go to send him, Moff Gideon's like, power up the dark troopers. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, a, a several minute delay before they finally jet out of the cruiser. Um, but it is, you know, it is interesting that they uh, they need to power up like this. But, and then he points out that this is where the child's being held. It's like a prison cell. It's like they're under armed guard, um, which, you know, whenever I think of armed guard, I think of two stormtroopers mm-hmm. in that never does anything <laughs> ever at all. They're just there to waste a few minutes just to stall for a few minutes. They're just bodies. Yeah. It's really just, yeah, to set up the frame of two bodies on either side of the door <laughs> when they let them out. They just don't know it yet. Um, um, I yeah. want to, I want to appreciate the fact that um, Dr. Pershing, he's not really Imperial. Like he's an asset, but he's just a, a scientist. He's more, yeah. His, his loyalties lie more to the discovery or the scientific method than to the needs of, of the empire. Like this, the only reason why he divulged that information so relatively easily. And then I think back to early last season when Mando um, took the child back after it was already delivered to the, mm-hmm. the client, the, the scientist, his body language and everything that he says, like, look, look, man, I'm not, they were going to kill it or they were going to hurt it if I didn't step in. So he he clearly right. 
maybe his his uh, intentions aren't like he cares for the child, you know, compared to Mando, but he also doesn't want any harm to come to it either because of its totally, you know, either I mean, even his uniform, it always has the the Kaminoan cloning facility patch. It doesn't yeah. have any any um, imperial stuff right, on insignia. Him. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's so just, I mean, I think he's probably giving this, divulging this information, so for the for the sake of protecting the asset. Sure, and even even when the Kaminoans were making the clone armies, they were still like third party contractors. They didn't work. They weren't part of the Empire or part of the Republic or anything. They were just they just bought the clones from them. They were just some people who did transactions with. So he can totally be someone who just is under the pressure of Moff Gideon yeah. and not necessarily serving him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it is, you know, he is kind of, honestly, he's like one of the only good guys in the whole, <laughs> like he has the least amount of conflict in his goodness. Um, even, you know, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka both have like some wrinkles in their goodness over time. Bo-Katan actually started as a terrorist <laughs> before <laughs> becoming someone who the people look to, but. It is interesting. Um, so they, the ultimate plan here is that they're going to get on the ship and create a distraction so that Mando can go off on his own, um, sort of unseen by the rest of the attention that they're grabbing. Um, so I, I noticed that um, she used a, a pretty interesting word that I've never heard of before. She asked, per- she asked Pershing where they bivouacked, and I had yeah, to look bivouacked. it up. It's basically, uh, it basically an encampment, but without the use of tents or any sort of structure. So it's like whenever, wherever there are uh, soldiers uh, stationed in a certain you know location yeah. without the need of a of a physical structure of some kind. So it's yeah. sort of like a temp- temporary encampment. Um, okay, and um, that's where the uh, the dark troopers are. And he also mentioned gotcha. something interesting. He basically he had to say that this is series three because Mando asks right, him, right. you know, how many armored suits are there? And he goes, These aren't these aren't suits, these are straight up droids. And the look, Mando immediately turns to Kara and he, he you can almost he you can almost hear him thinking, Bruh, I thought like droids again, really? Yeah. Right. It is an interesting like full circle for mm-hmm. him from you know the beginning of this show in the first episode he was like so overtly against droids that he couldn't even take one driving his his shuttle and now here he is like being pitted against them to save his child yeah yeah this, that was a good point out um and if there are any um military persons who listen to our show make sure you Make sure that Chris is right about the bivouac. Please, it do. does sound like a like a field operative term. Like, I could totally imagine that being an army term. So, the plan is set. They put it into action. Uh, we actually cut to them like behind each other in hyperspace, which is super interesting. I think I've seen this a few times where ships like are traveling like in tandem in communication with each other in hyperspace, not just, you know, following each other at a distance or something. So that was kind of cool. They're like within a few hundred yards of each other communicating over the comms. And, um, you know, 
the Slave One is being driven by Boba Fett, obviously, and then Bo-Katan is driving the Lambda shuttle or piloting, I guess is the right word. And uh, she's like, look, you're going to need to make your fire look look real. And he's like, I'll do my job, princess. You just fly your ship. <laughs> it is clear he has a lot of disdain yeah. for Bo-Katan. He's only doing this for Mando because he gave him his word. Um, but they drop out of hyperspace and immediately the slave one starts shooting at it. She's kind of flying in a, um, an evasive maneuver. Um, and, uh, that immediately triggers, we cut to the bridge and we see that comms officer and she's like, uh, Moff Gideon They're They've just dropped out of hyperspace. She's like launched some fighters. And so we get to actually see a little bit of the mechanics of how a light cruiser launches mm -hmm. TIE fighters. Um, I like it's like an assembly it line like, almost. Yeah, well, it feels like Battlestar Galactica to me. Like they had the launch tubes where they they bring the ship over into place, put it right in front, and then just like shoot it out the the, the launch tube. Um, and what's interesting about that? So they launch the first one. They keep flying towards that same launch tube, um, and they they get over the radio and they're telling them, like you got you have to clear the area till we launch the Tie Fighters first and. Bo-Katan keeps pressing, you know, no way, we're under attack, we've got to get in there. And so she causes them to have to stop launching ties. So they only get two of them off um, and they kind of fly past the shuttle and they get behind Boba. As he gets in close enough, he kind of breaks off. He keeps shooting at them until kind of the last minute and then he breaks off his fake attack. Um, she flies the ship right into that launch tube. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty tough thing to do and she has to land like bring the lambda shuttle wings up into their landing position yeah. while still flying it yeah because at that and point there's like, like no control yeah and she kind of like sort of crash lands it in the launch tunnel so they can't launch any more fighters which doesn't seem to matter because boba turns his cannons around and takes out both of them in like three seconds it could, it's not even a challenge no more size abuses um, yeah, no more seismic deuces. Um, yeah, it, it just takes him out real quick and then turns and punches it and, and jumps to light speed. So he's off. Um, and, you know, I I don't know where Dr. Pershing is. Yeah. He's obviously not on this shuttle, or I, I don't think he was on the Lambda shuttle. I, I doubt they would, like, deliver him right back to Moff Gideon's cruiser. Um, so he's got to be with... Boba Fett Probably. at this point. Yeah. Like, so that's a big um, question. But it doesn't mark. get addressed at all. Yeah. That's yeah a this big... is where is Dr. Pershing? Yeah. That's going to be a big question mark for the next season. Yeah. Cause even, I mean, Gideon says later he did get the material he needed from the child. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if Gideon, if the, if Dr. Pershing never makes it onto the shuttle, he's not going to have those resources to do the testing that he was going to do. And I mean, Moff Gideon's been captured. So it's unclear even what his future is. But anyway, we jumped a little bit too far ahead. Dr. Pershing might be on slave one end of sentence end for of, now. Yeah, there you go. Um, the fire team, which is, so at this point we're going to call it the fire team, which is everybody except for Mando. They burst out of the shuttle, start just immediately taking out troopers. And what's cool is like this whole time it's, it's led by, um, well, I mean, this whole group is just, a group of, of women going through and taking out all of these troopers, um, which is, I think it's an important thing to note. I think you noted it last week, yeah. perhaps that the star Wars franchise 
I think always, but increasingly more recently is making a, a great example of what strong women look like and how, you know, capable and accomplished they are. Um, so anyway, they, the, the four of them are just going to town on the troopers who are there. They, they clear out the bay that they've landed on and they just keep pushing through um, into the ship. As they get kind of out of this landing area, you see the plan in place. Mando slips out and goes a different direction. Um, and um, there was something about the music here. Yeah. I forget what it was. Yeah, the music, when when it cues the dark troopers charging up, the, the theme for the dark troopers gets uh, dark and robotic. Not like mm-hmm. techno, but... I mean, and you hear a variation of that, like more techno variation later on in the episode, but this one is very, it's very cold. But then, shot to Mando as he's walking down the Lambda shuttle, it goes back to a more, I'm gonna call it organic, I guess, a more nat- the, the bass mm-hmm. recorder, his his um, his iconic bass recorder theme. So I just thought it was interesting how for each of these specific moments they had. You know they're showcasing the character or the type of character, and then they have like that, um, uh, different very not the variations on the theme, but just different themes for for each mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, well, and it, I think it goes to show why the music for this series won so many awards. Mm-hmm. It's it's really really well done. Um, so yeah, you're right. Gideon calls for the dark troopers to get powered up because, as we know, they take a few minutes. Um, and Mando slips off his way. The fire team heads on towards the bridge. So um, as they're doing that, like I said, Fennec and Kara are kind of leading the way on the ground. Bo-Katan and Koska are kind of using their jetpacks to get some elevation mm-hmm. and rain down fire from above. Um, um, I got there's s- this great little scene here that like bridge, <laughs> which like as soon as you saw the bridge, you, like you knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I knew obviously, um, <laughs> yeah. So one of the troopers falls over, and the sound of him falling over into the ray shield into the abyss of space, it, you hear like a boop, just a little as he's like passing yeah. through the ray shield, and you and you you hear it again um, later on. But I just find it hilarious, and this is this is another example of why there needs to be OSHA in Star Wars. Where are the railings? There's no railings guys. in space, man. This is why I, are these guys not tethered? <laughs> um, I just don't get it. They have the tech and to like magnetize honestly, droids, but not human boots. Yeah. Even before that, where wh- wh- who designed this large, thin bridge over a vast abyss of space? All you have to do is slip and fall and. You fall right out of the ray shield. It's the same person that this designed isn't even a hangar uh, bay, right? The hang, the Navarro, the Navarro um, nuclear the lava, lava reactor. It's like we're going to give you yeah. twelve inches of, of foot clearance, so you can access this incredibly important piece of technology. Oh, but by the way, if you if you slip and fall, you fall like seventeen stories into pure lava. So yeah, good luck. It's. It's whatever. Anyway, the bloop is entertaining. Um, the uh, and then at, at this point, we the dark troopers finally power up. Mando's been kind of sneaking his way through, avoiding contact with anybody, so he hasn't triggered any alarms. Um, but the troopers activate and they start to walk towards the opening of the door. Um, then we cut back to the fire team. 
Kara's gun jams. And uh, this reminded me of what happened last week. And I, you know, I wasn't here to talk about it, but um, when Mando's on top of the the uh, the fuel trans- transport yeah. and he's shooting, I think a lot of people said they thought the blaster ran out of ammo. I just thought it stopped working because like Imperial weapons were so cheap. So <laughs> it's it possible, just, yeah. he was clicking it, it wasn't working. And so he just flings <laughs> it at him. And I could just love the like, the physical comedy of Kara like working with her blaster. She's like, she's cursing at it. She says the dank ferric term. <laughs> she said something about the mud pit or something. <laughs> uh, it's just like, she almost, like she sounds kind of like a redneck, like <laughs> messing with her rifle. And then she finally just like slams it on the ground after Bo-Katan af- offers to help. And then it, it, you hear it power back up, but it's just like, it's a great little, bit with her messing around with her rifle also in star wars if it's a closed door shoot it if it's a failing weapon just hit it a couple of times and it'll it'll start working yeah totally um we cut back to mando who's now gotten to the dark troopers i i kind of thought he was going for the child not towards the troopers but i guess that's I don't know why they thought the best plan of attack was to send one guy towards all these troopers. (laughs) Well, I think the initial plan, uh, the way that the the ship was designed is that when you pass through the entry or the shuttle bay or whatever, in order to get to the brig, you have to pass the troopers, which is a convenient little plot device, but here we are. And the idea was he'd, in theory, have enough time to sneak get there out, in time to shut him down. To shut him down, yeah, exactly, and at least lock yeah. the door. But you know, obviously, that is exactly what goes what what happens, right? Yeah, Be- best laid plans. Um, so he gets there. The the troopers are, I don't know how long they've been marching towards this door, but they haven't made it out of the, <laughs> out of the bay yet. Um, and Mando runs up to shut the door. And like as it's closing, one of them gets its hands in it and kind of opens it up and gets out. And then what does the man do? Like kick or flamethrow the other ones to keep them inside and it slams shut and he locks the door. Um, and they begin like punching the door, which is like Rock'em Sock'em <laughs> robots. <laughs> well, uh, uh, they, even, they even have like the Rock'em Sock'em robot helmet yeah. in some way. Yeah. Um, they're punching at the like glass on the door as, and at that moment, the, you know, the, the one dark trooper that got out starts to go to town on Mando. He literally and, starts uh, going like rock and sock him on his helmet. Yeah. I mean, he like, he pins Mando against the wall and is just like straight punching him, um, relentlessly. I count Mando's I, doing I, everything he can. I counted at least five, no, six, seven, I, f- I counted like seven hits on the best car seven straight and punches. like nothing, yeah. no dents on the, on the helmet, but the helmet with yeah. his head keeps going deeper and deeper know, into the wall behind it's, it. It's, it's like the problem with football helmets, right? Like you wear them and sure the helmet itself doesn't get damaged, but what about the brain concussions and things from your head inside it? I had to think that that affected Mando getting smashed into the bulkhead <laughs> of the, of the light cruiser. Um, he so he's when he's pinned up against him, he uses his flamethrower to like shoot it right into the belly of the of the droid. It does apparently nothing, yeah, because it keeps slamming him. 
it chucks Mando to the ground. He launches a, a full barrage of whistling birds at him, which all seem to move around and just ding into him, yeah. but they don't do anything to disable him. I couldn't tell if his if he's built of some kind of metal that if, yeah. if he's built of best car or something. No, I, I guess not best car. Not best car, but it's later, like but. pure steel. I mean that's I guess that was the advantage of droids is that they can just be completely made out of I think Dura steel yeah. was the material. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not plastoid. Mm-mm. Um, so, you know, it's not working and, um, none of his, like, none of the tools we've seen him use so far are working. He gets flung one more time. And as he's, he pulls out his Donatello Ninja Turtle stick, um, and <laughs> he was like, the best Ninja Turtle to fight me. Yeah. Um, I think you are going to get fought because <laughs> Leonardo was the best one. No, nope. sorry, man. Um, agree to disagree. Definitely not Raphael. I think we can agree on that one. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it actually like in moments of whipping out the the staff, he takes him out. Like he gets one decent hit on him, and then spears him like straight through the like neck. Yeah, <laughs> and like dislodges his head and drops him to the ground, and then. Um, rushes over to the airlock and you see all of the dark troopers just flushed out <laughs> into space. Um, so the crisis seems to be averted. We cut back to the fire team. They go the last few bits to the bridge, bust in through the blast doors, and they take out all of the troopers who are on the bridge and, and, off, and Imperial officers. And then Bo-Katan says, Gideon's not here. Um, which at this point, we kind of already know we where have he an is. idea of where he is. Yeah. yeah, and we cut back to Mando, who is now taking out our two small plot devices, the stormtroopers, who are <laughs> armed guard of Grogu's cell. <laughs> um, he like spears the one with his staff, and then like chokeholds the other, and then like breaks his neck at the end. Um, they'll be fine. And then, oh yeah, he'll be fine. Opens the door to find that Moff Gideon is standing over Grogu, who's still in his little imperial shackles. Yeah. And if at this point you haven't figured it out, the empire definitely is the bad guys. (laughs) Yeah. If you haven't figured that out at this point, I think something else is going on. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Mando walks in on Moff Gideon holding the dark saber ignited over the, the child He's like, he starts to brag about having this laser sword um, and Mando could care less. And they start to sort of negotiate with each other. And it's sort of an interesting, um, it feels like an equitable conversation. He's like, like Mando sort of like, look, I get it. You want him, but I'm here for the kid. I don't care what else you want. Just give me the child and I'll be out of here. And Moff Gideon's like, yeah, sure. I mean, that sounds good. I've already got what I need anyway. No big deal. So you can just come and take them. I'm fine with that. And <laughs> did you get that? Like, the, yeah, it, it no, was like, oddly calm. Yeah, no, no. This, like, this, exactly. this little conversation. Yeah, it was. He's obviously a man of his word. He's totally yeah. going to respect respect that. Hundred like, percent. Okay, I'll give you the child. Just, you know, just come take him. Deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. So Mando walks up to get him, and like as he's reaching down, Moff Gideon slashes at the his jetpack, and um, you know obviously it's all best car. It it deflects, 
But now Mando turns around and uses his gauntlets to block it. I think he takes a hit to the head. Yeah. To the helmet. Um, Moff Gideon's just whacking away at him. And it does look a lot like the Ahsoka, um, you know, drop battle from a few episodes ago. Yeah. Where Mando's just getting whacked and keeps having to retreat in position. And they get out into the hallway and he again pulls off his staff from behind him. And we finally get this Darksaber Beskar staff battle we knew that was coming yeah. since since he got the staff from Ahsoka. Um, and it's, I mean, I feel like it lives up to it. It's a pretty awesome lightsaber battle. Uh, the like the martial arts involved in it are pretty cool. He he does Some this, of the effects they do. Yeah, he does this move they, like, I found on the beginning of that fight where he has the staff behind him for a second, and in in order to propel it so that it flips it forward, he actually kicks it. He kicks the staff huh. was behind him to propel it forward even faster. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean he's obviously trained with the staff. He he uses it well. Um, you know, there's a moment where. While they're clashing, you know, they like he presses the dark saber into the like the edges of the bulkhead, yeah, and it like cuts a big slash into it, which we haven't we didn't really see before in projects before this. It does come up all the time in the sequel series because Kylo Ren like could not resist but to <laughs> drag his lightsaber through all kinds of surfaces around him. Um, but we do get you see the dark saber scar the the bulkhead. Um, I was really interested in how like the two of them clashed. Like when the dark saber hits the best car, it's obviously resistant to it, but mm-hmm. it was like it looked molten. Like it was it, heating up the it, it, the material of the best car. Yeah, it looked like it was going to cut through it if it was just left there for I don't know seconds or minutes. Yeah, um, it didn't seem like a fully resistive. Um, like know, metal, it, like but it can, maybe that's just the way it looked. Well, think about it. I mean, it can resist the cut. But a lightsaber or a dark saber is still a, an energy source. That's true. If you apply an energy Something source that's to not any, flammable, yeah, but exactly. Put in lava for twenty <laughs> minutes. It's gonna it's gonna melt. It's eventually. gonna react. That's just, yeah. That's I can appreciate that. This is at least the one aspect of physics that they respected. You know, yeah. apply a heat source to a piece of metal. It's gonna get hot eventually. So that's true. What what is technically a lightsaber? It's a it's a plasma sword, right? Right. And plasma is really like superheated. Yeah. So and Beskar is just an alloy. Point. So any alloy has a melting point. Sure. Welcome to the science of Star Wars with Chris. That's, and Mike. that's actually a great, <laughs> that would make a great podcast. That's we seriously need to stop spinning off podcasts from this from this <laughs> podcast in the same way that Dave Filoni and John Favreau keep spinning off series from The Mandalorian. We have too many. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this this battle continues on a bit longer. It's not super drawn out. It's it only lasts about a minute. Um, but it's it's a great minute. And um eventually Mando gets like one or two good hits on it, which kind of on on Moff Gideon, which knocks him to the ground. And then, you know, the the battle ends with he gets his staff kind of hooked around the sword and flings it across the hallway. And there's like a really cool move where he sort of flips the staff over mm-hmm. to point the like bladed end at him. And like, as he's like, he's pinned him in, in defeat. And then it's obviously surprising. And it sort of, it's an interesting comment that Moff Gideon makes here. Cause he, he knows the implications of what just happened. Yeah. 
Mando doesn't. Yeah. So a lot of the audience probably doesn't. Gideon is but, his surprise is genuine. Because yeah, he's, he's like, wow, I can't believe I'm still alive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this scene ends. Mando has beaten Moff Gideon, but he's left him alive. Because I think in some ways he knows that Cara Dune and the New Republic want him alive. Mm-hmm. So he's he's trying to serve his friend in that way. And I think he also knows that he's been told by Bo-Katan that she wants to be the one to kill him. Mm-hmm. She doesn't tell him necessarily why Yeah, uh, that she wants to kill him. And we find out in short order why she wanted to kill him. But so Mando brings him alive to the bridge. And that's where we, we cut to the scene that he opens the door, the bulkhead to the bridge, and he's got the, the dark saber ignited, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of cool that like, it's sort of how he brought Moff Gideon up to the bridge, like under threat of, you know, he didn't have to pull out a blaster or whack him again with his staff. Like he just had the blade there and he could slice right there. He wasn't, he, wanted to. he wasn't bivouacked. He was not, he wasn't bivouacked. He was just whacked. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, so they bring him up and there's like immediate shock on Bo-Katan's face. Mm-hmm. And I, you and I know why we, we understand what the dark saber is and, and what it means. Um, not everyone in the room does, including Mando. Um, and like Moff Gideon could not be more excited or giddy <laughs> about this moment. We should call him Giddy Gideon. Gid- Gideon. Yeah. He um, is just so tickled by this situation <laughs> he's getting to witness at this point that his enemy in Bo-Katan, who's been hunting him to get back her Darksaber, has just lost it to Mando because the way the history of the Darksaber and the lineage of it works is the only way it passes is through combat. And Mando is now the rightful owner of the Darksaber because he's bested Moff Gideon it's yours now. What is? The dark saber. It belongs to you. No. It belongs to her. She can't take it. It must be won in battle. This conversation is uh, interesting because it goes into... And, and this is like true to Mando's character because I don't want it here it goes no you have to yeah. def- you have to defeat she has to defeat you in battle all right fine i yield right oh no 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 and then he plays because of something interesting he he said earlier is assume i know everything he's kind of like thrawn in that sense yeah. where he um you know to know your enemies to know yourself sort of thing so he knows right. as much as he can about his enemies uh specifically the mandalorians he knows that part of their creed, their core belief is not in the weapon itself, but the story revolving it. And yep. if word gets out, and and because he also knows that Bo-Katan is a firm believer of this creed too, if word gets out that she got it by un... I don't want to say unrighteous. Unlegitimate. Unlegitimate, yeah. Unlegitimate. If, if, she, if she gets it or she obtains it illegitimately, then she doesn't have a legitimate right to the throne of Mandalorian. has no power. Yeah, exactly. Like, He's like, that's what he says. It, the sword has no power. It's the only story. the story does. Exactly. And if she can't follow the story, it has no power. But this is what I'm wondering. I don't recall how it passed from Sabine to Bo-Katan in the Rebels series. Right. Do you remember? So, because they weren't necessarily 
at odds with each other. So Bo-Katan didn't kill Sabine. No. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember how she got the... I'm trying to remember how Sabine got the Darksaber in the first place. Um, she got it from Darth Maul. Right. Oh, wait. Yeah, she got it from Darth Maul. Yeah. So... Um, Action sequences. Ah- so- Ahsoka was fighting. We'll have to follow up on yeah. this. So everybody, S- several, because we're several episodes and action sequences later, Sabine and crew uh, get the dark saber. Mm-hmm. Sabine knows what's in- involved with wielding the dark saber. She doesn't want to. She feels like she doesn't have a right to the throne of Mandalore, but she knows someone who does, which is Bo-Katan, because her sister was the was the Duchess. Um, but since uh, um, Satine died. Bo-Katan would technically be next in line, so she recognized her authority. And some of the theory mm-hmm. that's floating around is Sabine knew that she felt that Bo-Katan was the one who truly had the the right to wield it, so she just gave it to her. She relinquished it, so there was yeah. no no combat needed because she felt like it was it was always her by hers by right. However, somehow. Gideon and Bo-Katan cross paths. It's not revealed how. Gideon takes it, likely from battle, from Bo-Katan. It's his now. Yeah. Bo-Katan has been trying to get it back, but she has to earn it because she lost it in battle. The yeah. problem that we've now encountered ourselves is Gideon, who is the currently the rightful owner because he, we don't know how he got it, but let's say for argument's sake, he earned it. He fought it. He won it. Mm-hmm. He was now bested by someone else. In yeah. this case, Din Djarin. So that puts Din Djarin and Bo-Katan at odds now. And to make those odds even greater is Din doesn't want it. And Bo-Katan can't take it back because yeah. of this of this creed. You were pointing out that this reminded you of a, a TikTok meme. Oh my God. Like, like the, nobody's going to know. Like, nobody's going to know. They're going to know. How would they know? <laughs> um, it was it was a lot like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, while everyone is sitting here feeling uncomfortable, <laughs> why don't we um, wait for the tension in the air to settle and uh, take a break and give a chance for you to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode of Death Watch is also brought to you by Skull Square Design Company. We're also huge fans of The Mandalorian, as well as Star Wars in general. And we wanted to share that love by making gifts for our fellow fans of Mando and the Child. Whether you wanted some flair while enjoying your favorite beverage in Oga's Cantina, or wanted to covertly show your support to the Resistance while exploring Batuu, we've got gifts for everybody. And not just Star Wars fans, but Marvel and Disney fans too. Check us out at SkullSquared.com or follow us on social media at Skull Squared. That's Skull with a C, as in... See y'all real soon! And we're back. So with the crew all back together on the bridge, um, and they're working through the uncomfortableness of the Darksaber scenario... We then trying to figure out the sem- semantics of leadership, apparently on Mandalore. Yeah, the the Roberts rules of of <laughs> the line of succession of Mandalore. Um, a proximity alarm goes off, and um, Fennec knows that it's a boarding party incoming. 
And Bo-Katan asks how many life forms, and she tur- uh, Fennec turns ominously and says, none, which is like... Like, come on, we, we knew that this was going to happen. Yeah. Like, they get sucked out into space, and then that's it, the droids just, you know, turn off. Yeah, I'll be honest, I, I let myself get tricked into not knowing um, <laughs> that the, the troopers were coming back. Totally makes sense, <laughs> obviously, because we've seen them rocketing around, so... Of mm-hmm. course, once they got sucked out into space, they could have just rocketed back to the ship, and yeah. that's what they've done. And uh, they there's like it's a cool shot of one. We've got the little heads up display, and they, it shows the 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 tracking of the incoming people, um, and then mm-hmm. it cuts to the the loading bay, the shuttle bay, and they're like busting through again the ray shields, and you see the little blip like boop, flash boop, as they boop. come through. Which is pretty cool. I don't understand why they had to go all the way back, seemingly to that part of the ship. Like, they, there's no hatch near the bridge that they could have gone in through. Probably not. That seems Probably like not. such a poor design flaw in a, a an imperial yeah. cruiser. Um, but in any case, there they are. And then Gideon has this like sort of backhanded line about um, like. Maybe Bo-Katan is going to have another chance to get the <laughs> the, the the saber back in battle um, with the droids, um, and it, it's funny. They, I mean, they just quickly come through the ship. They make it to the door of the bridge, and they go right back into Rock'em Sock'em robot mode. They actually like <laughs> they put their their blasters down, and then they just start punching, um, and they. <laughs> Fennec closed the blast doors and they're still visibly damaging the doors. And you can tell this is just a matter of time that they're going to burst their way through. And there's a series of close-up tense shots on everyone in the room. Bo-Katan puts her helmet on, puts her blasters Mm -hmm. in the upright position. Um, There's a joke there about airlines somewhere, but... um, (laughs) Uh, Cara Dune has her blaster. Please position helmet. your blasters in the upright exactly. position. Wait until the pilot has turned off the seatbelt sign. Um, uh, so Bo-Katan and her sidekick are ready to go. Cara Dune has her blaster <laughs> set up. Fennec is ready yeah. to go. Mando's there. And and Gideon is kind of, he's there. And actually it's at this point that one of them like kicks him to the ground. Because I think it's Cara Dune. She's been... Kara, she's yeah. been roughhousing she, him she a little bit. She flings him down when he... Yeah. Yeah, she uh, tossed him down yeah. when uh, he first entered the bridge. And he falls down like on top of one of the blasters of one of the dead nearby Imperials um, who were on the on the bridge. And he kind of covers it with his cape. Um, which is... I love capes in this show. But he's covering it with his cape, so we know that's going to come back in a bit. Ed, Edna Mode is not having a... She's not having a good time with the show. No, she definitely was not consulted by the uh, by the, the costume department. <laughs> um, and and the the droids just keep punching at the door, and it's it's bulging. It's it seems like it's getting ready to to break. And another proximity alarm comes, and this is like the the next like fifteen minutes of the episode are just like almost too much to handle all all at once. But at this. We get the proximity alarm and an X-Wing comes by the bridge windows in the S-foils in lock position. And like 
I, 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 at this point, I'm, I'm 95% sure that Luke Skywalker has come to save the crew, yeah. that Grogu reached out to Luke, <laughs> that my, my dumb Mace Windu theory is garbage. <laughs> um, and that I, I have to, it was, it was worth, it was worth having a conversation about though. I'll give you, I'll give you it that. Was. You know, honestly, when I saw the, when I saw the X-Wing before any of that other happened, I'm like, Oh man, Dave Filoni is making another cameo. <laughs> Tra- and he's save here the comes day. Trapper Wolf, buddy cop. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, Hey, what's, uh, what's going on here guys? There was still like a bit of me that was like, yeah, but I think Mace Windu could still fly an X-Wing here. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, for real, the X-Wing, you know, from my perspective, just has such a strong connection to Luke. You know, from yeah. the moment he gets in the first one in in A New Hope, he flies them everywhere. Down to at the end of his run in the se- sequel series, he's got the um, when he goes to basically in self imposed exile on Octo, he brought he the X wing ha- there. He still has his X wing crashed, sort of yeah, crashed exactly. it into the well, water. I, I feel like in Star Wars, everybody has their their mount. Yeah. Uh, Han Solo, Chewie, they have the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Boba Fett has a Slave One. Sure. Luke Skywalker has his X-Wing. Yep. So, um, yeah, here he is. He, he, and then we get this cool, like the production here is, it sort of, so uh, one, we get the we get the X-Wing flyby. Kara's like, oh, great. One X-Wing, we're <laughs> saved. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, mm, she's gonna, mm, mm, those words are delicious. Yeah, problem solved. Um, we have one X-Wing. Um, then you see Grogu, who's been sort of like put behind a control panel and looking pretty down. He starts to perk up when we see it landing. And then this like sort of whole sequence here sort of switches to mixing in like to closed circuit television, um, like security mm-hmm. cameras which was, I think, a really interesting way to to sort of curate this whole sequence coming up. So we see it landing in the hangar bay. At that point, mm-hmm. the troopers stop punching the door. I don't exactly yeah. know how they know the bigger threat is now in the hangar bay. That I feel like there's like a hive mind kind of uh, situation. Potentially. They're able to... one. One is able to communicate with the other, but even like, still, uh, like one X-wing in the hangar bay, how is that worse than like this fire team full of Mandalorians and assassins and a Jedi child who that's, who have our master captive in there? But yeah, that's, nonetheless, they stop punching. Uh, and I also feel like if they just kept punching, no way Luke would have made it to them in time. <laughs> they seem like the door was almost busted anyway. Yeah, this this scene was specifically written for our purpose, yes. as opposed to you know what would actually happen in in a situation. But yeah, so whatever. I I, I digress. So we, I'd like to take a second to yeah. comment that even Gideon was nervous. Yes, he looks because when he saw when he noticed that the that the dark trooper stopped their little you know punchy breachy uh, attack, even he changed his complexion right completely. Kind of like because he realized his droids know something worse is in the hangar bay than what's in there with him. Uh, and it, it reminded me of the meme that's going around with the like visibly distressed, <laughs> like um, <laughs> he definitely was not feeling it. And then these, these series of closed circuit TV scenes, you know, he lands in the bay. Then we see a cloaked figure walking down the hallway. Bo-Katan's like <sighs> a Jedi. And like, that's kind of when it triggers 
uh, Gideon, he's like, wait, what? And, and everyone like keys in on it. And then we cut to the next scene. It's sort of at the end of that hallway, apparently at a, a juncture with the next hallway, there's three dark troopers there and we see the green lightsaber. So it's like, all right, we're from yeah. 95% Luke. Now it's like 99% Luke and like super. You know what cool. got me? What? What confirmed it with me is that once you see, once you, there's that scene where he's going down that catwalk mm-hmm. or I think even before you can see it on the screen, the one glove, yeah. the one black, like it's either you have both your hands covered in gloves, but he had the one yep. which was iconic to, to Luke also. So he's got, that's, that's what confirmed it for his, me. His epic green lightsaber is back. He takes out these three and then you're right. This next scene, the camera is like in front of where he is. And then like he walks by the camera and as he does, Mm -hmm. you see him, his black leather glove holding the green lightsaber. And so it's like hundred percent, this is Luke at this point. And I mean, the action here is incredible. The, like this for me is like such a redemptive scene for the character of Luke Skywalker, particularly where Mm -hmm. he ends up in his arc as in the sequel series. Um, He's a, an incredibly capable Jedi here. He's making quick work of what are told to us to be incredibly difficult to defeat uh, battle droids. And he's putting on a, a full show. He's using his saber to deflect the blaster bolts. He's flinging large objects at some to press them up against the wall. He's slashing straight through others. Um, and this is just like in the lower <laughs> yeah, I think area. I see- I think I see where he's on the catwalk. He slices one right down the middle and both halves just fall yeah. on the other side. I love that part. Um, so that this is epic. And we cut back to the cock, to the bridge and this whole, the whole time Grogu is moved up to the CCTV screen in the, in mm-hmm. the bridge. And has, has like kind of put his hand on the screen. Like he's reaching out. Oh to wait, him. but just before, just before that, um, Gideon, um, takes a shot that's before this okay yeah yeah Gideon right where we see Luke is in the warehouse or the storage bay Gideon gets up and um, the blaster that he was concealed concealing he takes several shots at Bo-Katan and conveniently hits only the parts of her armor so <laughs> like she has less protection than didn't oh, whatever man anyway good for her she's alive she's fine yep she gets knocked down though and then he turns around and he's pointing blank at the child mando jumps across and then secret service um, style throws his body in front of the president and takes you know six or seven blaster bolts straight to the to the best car and then Mm -hmm. gideon realizing his last ditch effort has failed turns the blaster on himself and before he's able to pull the trigger car just (laughs) smacks him right across the face right to the ground um yeah, I, I was pretty pretty incredible. I did not expect him to to go to take his own life. I did not think that. I did. I wasn't expecting him to actually go for the child. Hmm. That was cold. Yeah, that that's gonna sh- that that sort of solidifies the depths that the character was willing to go down to. The whole an, an imperial officer taking his own life. We saw that in the Eris episode, sure, where the captain played by Titus Williver. He um, gives himself the instant um, shock gum 
trick, yeah, whatever the cyanide tablet that has electricity. Electrocyanide, exactly. Yeah. So it's not it's not unheard of for um, for an officer. I just to assumed take it was life, like but... in the service of someone greater. Like that, this captain mm-hmm. guy doesn't matter because he's saving Moff Gideon. But I guess maybe this it's, even shows that Moff Gideon is in the service of someone else. That he possibly. he couldn't or allow himself to get captured because there's something more important than him that could get it's found a, out. It's, all, it's everything that's in his head. Everything that's in his head is important. Yeah, especially f- towards the New Republic. True. Which is why Kara was so excited that that she'd stay alive. Yeah, she's ready to pay double. Yeah. So yeah, now we now we get to. Um, Grogu looking at the TV screens. Yeah, in, and we see Luke again taking out the last of the dark troopers on this lower level, and um, he's just reaching out. It's a, a really touching moment. Uh, you can tell he's like connecting with with Luke as a Jedi, and then Luke heads into the the lift to go up to the bridge, and um, yeah, this next scene is just like pretty incredible. So there's what 10 troopers stationed outside of the bridge who have been yeah. sockoming the the blast doors for the last 20 minutes and they all turn around towards the lift the door opens and they start firing and this like movement down the hallway the the slashing of the lightsaber the like blocking behind and to the side and deflecting the bolts is incredible he slashes through a couple he picks one up, throws it across the hallway into another, cuts another in half. The whole scene is like a very parallel, almost like a remake of at the end of Rogue One when Darth Vader is coming yeah. down the rebel ship towards where the tent of four is docked. And he's just like going to town on these egghead <laughs> Republic soldiers. Um, <laughs> in their bicycle helmets. Yeah, right before one can throw him the floppy disk through the the broken doorway. Um, and it's, yeah, I've even seen some side by sides the last couple of days to show the two scenes happening in tandem. And it's very much in the same way Luke says, like my father before me kind of thing. Um, yeah, very much a parallel. And then this, like the final kill shot here to the last droid is pretty incredible. Just, oh man, reaches out at him and it's his leather hand and is just crushing the droid with the force like a like a coke can. it's like trying to shoot at him it can't and then it just like implodes in on itself and he just drops it down into a pile of ashes incredible mm-hmm. love that part <laughs> and then we cut back into the bridge we hear like the now there's silence outside of the blast doors and mando's like open the doors and everyone's inside like are you kidding <laughs> like this guy just destroyed everyone why do we want him in here they open it anyway. They don't open all the way because they've been pounded by Obvious. the droids. Yeah. They make this cool, like the shape when he walks in, it's just a, a nice framing. I feel like the Mandalorian has done a good job of framing silhouettes of people walking through doorways, like from the beginning mm-hmm. when Mando's in the circular hole in the, the yeah. bar that he's there. Um, happens a lot. So this is a cool, a separate, a different shape. It's actually a Sabacc card shape. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if so, this if episode, this episode of the Mandalorian has brought to you been has been brought to you by Sabacc. Yes, get it at your local. I don't know, Space Walmart. Space Walmart. Um, so he walks in, and um, 
it's it's Luke Skywalker. We haven't really seen him at this point until right now. He 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 pulls his cloak back, and I mean, I still think it's Mace Windu in disguise. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be like the end of every Scooby Doo episode where they pull the mask off and they're like, "It's the farmer." Um, it's old man Jenkins. Which actually, Luke is a farmer. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's Mark Hamill from from 1984, uh, which yeah. is they. I mean, they did an incredible job recreating his look. Uh, um, I, I wonder who the the actor was that they. What what do you call it? Deep fake, I, I guess, is the technology. Yeah, that they deep faked him his uh, his appearance on. And even the voice, I was wondering, it, it sounds a lot like Mark Hamill sounded like 35 years ago. Um, yeah. And not like how Mark Hamill sounds now. And I, I know he's such a talented voice actor. I bet he could do a good impression of himself 35 of years himself. ago. <laughs> um, so uh, maybe it was just straight up Mark Hamill talking. Um, but really... But we want. I want to take a second to appreciate the fact that it actually was Mark Hamill who was involved in this yeah. and not, you know, there was speculation that they were going to do like Sebastian Stan or, yeah. or somebody else to do a stand-in, uh, but it really is, you know, obviously not Mark, Mark Hamill physically, but that he was involved in this portrayal of his original, of his character, right. you know, many years prior. I, I just thought that that was an excellent touch. I have to think that he was more than happy to do this version of Luke Skywalker. Oh man, uh, absolutely. Um, because I, I know, and I don't want to get too deep into the politics of it, but I know he wasn't super excited with how his character was portrayed in the sequels. So to see him so like triumphantly, capably portrayed here in The Mandalorian is just, uh, it's a great redemption for him. Um, mm-hmm. As he walked in, he, he pulls his cloak back. Mando's like, are you a Jedi? And he just responds, I am. He turns to Grogu and he's like, come little one. Uh, and he, he, he hesitates. Mando says, He doesn't want to go with you. He wants your permission. Which is just like, ugh. So like all the, all the <sighs> feels. Um, Man. He, this, like the emotion of this moment is just like, it, it builds up over the next few minutes and is, is crazy. Luke is asking for him to come. Uh, Mando picks him up and uh, like begins to like hold him for a moment. And as he's like kind of talking, he was like, you got to go with this guy. He like reaches towards his mask and like, yeah, the helmet. The music changes. Yeah. The music is like, unlike anything we heard, I think up until this point in the show, it's, it's very um, almost like a lullaby. Mm. And I feel like that, that tugs at the heartstrings more because now that music at least from my um, what what my takeaway, the the tone of the music and then the tone of the moment without any dialogue, it truly was a father and son moment. Yeah, it was like this is any whole the way that he's cradling the child like it's his own baby. It's yeah, yeah, man. It was unlike anything I've seen even in just in Star Wars. General. Yeah, I had friends texting me that they were in tears trying to get through this moment. Um, yeah, I, I feel like if you, as, a, as I'm a grown adult male, and I'm saying this, if you didn't cry during the sequence, you're a psychopath. <laughs> Fight me otherwise. 
but I feel like this is exactly. I don't think you exactly want to challenge psychopaths to fighting you, but <laughs> okay, that's okay, that's um, true. But still, um, if it was a, it was a, a moment that did tug at your heartstrings, which on, which is what Star Wars tries to do. Yeah, in in many instances, it's that emotional. Um, they try to get that emotional pull from you, mm-hmm. and this is an excellent example of not just in Star Wars in general, but. I think in movie making, the way that it's scripted, the way that it's directed, the way that it carries out by all the parties involved. Absolutely. This is an excellent example of how to get that emotional draw from from the audience. <sighs> yeah, it is. This is so heavy. And it, it goes a step further here. I like guess Grogu is reaching out to his helmet. Mando pulls it off. And it's it's this like... That's the whole That two was the series. moment we've been waiting for. Yeah, it's been yeah. two seasons of inch by inch development of one Mando becoming like a loving caretaker for someone. And then, you know, even in the previous episode with, with Bill Burr questioning his, or seeding it in his mind, like how important are your beliefs when something that matters to you is at risk? And uh, even, you know, speaking with Bo-Katan and learning about the fact that he's part of a radical sect of Mandalorians and just all of these things kind of coming to this head here in this moment where he decides mm-hmm. it's okay for him to be vulnerable to his child. He, he takes his helmet off and the child is the first living thing to touch his face since he was a child. And um, yeah. you start to see tears streak down Din Djarin's face. He's like, you know, he like he's kind of closing his eyes, like embracing the moment, um, and it's it's really it's really intense. Um, I think also for the character of of Grogu, ever since he met with Ahsoka, he's also been preparing himself for this moment as well, because Ahsoka could feel the fear, yeah, and the um, the fear of loss of losing Mando, right? Because they've they've uh, formed such a strong attachment, such a strong bond. Um. So the fact that Luke can connect with him through the Force and and gauge that it's not that he doesn't want to go, it's that he he wants to make sure that it's okay with Dad, right? That he goes on this intergalactic field trip. Well, and one additional thing that Luke says here is that you know he's a you know he's very gifted and very powerful, but without the training to use those skills and abilities, he's always he's not going to be safe because mm-hmm. he is. If, you know, Luke theoretically can teach him how to use these abilities to protect himself so that he's not just someone with, you know, incredible potential, but someone who actually is formidable and can take care of themselves. And I think that also for Mando is like one last thing on the, on the checklist that if I turn him over and even Luke says, I will protect him with my life, kind of like I will continue the like, uh, circle of of care, the continuity of care with that you've been giving to him, I will give to him as well. And Dinjarin puts him down, and at this point, like I don't know why we haven't expected it, but but R two D two comes rolling <laughs> around behind Luke, <laughs> and obviously wherever Luke is, there R two D is also, and um, 
<laughs> we were we, we like were joking. It was like <laughs> Luke pulls up and like forgets to let him out of the back seat, and he like <laughs> finally gets himself out of the X wing. He's like, "Dude, where?" Or like, "Hey, I'll be back in five minutes." And he's like, "Come on, man! It's been like twenty five minutes. Where I've been <laughs> where you been? You. What's going on? Who are all these people?" Yeah. Um, and then Grogu starts to walk over to Luke and R two, and they R two and Grogu have a little interaction, which almost yeah. you know. I, you're posing the theory that it's likely or possible, I guess the way they're, they're interacting, it seems like they know each other or they've at least met. Yeah. Yeah. So in the events of R2 was, I believe he was there during the, the purge at the, uh, in Coruscant. So he knew what was going on um, towards the end of revenge of the Sith. C3PO gets his memory wiped, which is why he doesn't recognize anybody um including Darth Vader or Anakin rather anybody um but but R2 didn't get his memory wiped right so it's been theorized that R2 was near or around when everything was happening with the uh with the killing of the younglings so no either cuz R2 was with Padme at that point R2 was with Padme okay so but still he may have been aware of what was happening on Coruscant with the with the young yeah, and nonetheless, so he may have if he was he was really with um, Anakin all the time over the entire time that Anakin was at the temple. Right. So it's so he may have known that Grogu was there at the temple. Right. He could have he and could have Grogu met him was, was at any point in the there. ten plus years yeah. Anakin was at the temple. Exactly. So to see him survive that mm-hmm. when when R two does his little side to side little jumps, that's when you know that he's excited and happy. Yeah. Um, for him to see that with excitement, it's possible that he's excited to see that Grogu survived the purge. Yeah. That moment when you see R2 happy, for me, eight-year-old me is happy. Yeah. Because that, to me, growing up, that's what I saw those characters as Luke Skywalker and R2-D2. To see him happy like that makes the inner kid in me happy again. Yeah. And and seeing him interact with all these new characters in the timeline is... Uh, makes all those feelings come full circle yeah so he he walks over to them luke picks up grogu and looks at him in person i'm sure you know in his mind is the fact that he looks like master yoda who he you know met in the last year of his life and has to immediately recognize him in some way um and then they you know start to walk away they walk down the corridor they get in the the lift and then they turn around and they linger for a moment. Um, looks back down the hallway. Din is looking at Grogu and then he kind of just like nods at him, standing there without his helmet. And like the camera's kind of like slowly panning back on everyone. And um, he just kind of nods at him with like, here's my last little, okay, you can go. And the lift door closes and we just cut to black. End of season two. Um and it it's a it's an abrupt ending, um, and yeah, it is. There's it, a lot of outstanding things here. You know, obviously we have this tension about the dark saber and what that means for Mandalorians and Mandalore. We've captured Moff Gideon, and what does that mean for the Imperial Remnant versus the New Republic? Um, Why didn't Din give him the shifter knob back? Yeah, I, that's a good point. You mentioned that. Like, I. I 
it kind of seems like maybe he held on to it as a either a memento for Mando himself, yeah. or as a way of like, you know, a, you know, attachment is forbidden for the Jedi. Obviously, that's not totally the child's case at this point, but giving him something to continue to keep his thoughts connected with Mando is maybe not healthy. So Mando doesn't give it to him. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, and then all of these other, you know, you can go look at our our mind map of the story map of what's out there. You know, we have the Grand Admiral Thrawn who was name checked at one point. Ahsoka is out there, you know, she's going to get her own series. So I imagine Mm -hmm. all of her storyline will get shifted over to that. Um, You know, we've got Grief Karga. We haven't seen in a while. We only saw him the one time um, we might connect with him again. We've got the armorer who hasn't come back at all. And um, Paz Vizsla, or the heavy Mandalorian and any of that group we haven't seen in a while. So a lot of outstanding stuff and um, a lot of stuff set up for season three. And also before what became of the, uh, what became of the DNA? Oh, that's true. I mean, we've got the blood Grogu. samples of Grogu. Is that going to yeah, get like, transferred? Of all that? Is it still on the light cruiser? And so, you know, our, our crew is in charge of it. Um, I suppose season three could literally start with, a fleet of star destroyers jump dropping out of of hyperspace and and freeing Gideon from the fire team. You know, there's all kinds of things that this this could go. Um, and then I guess before we get any further, if you watched this episode and you did not watch to the end of the credits, please pause the podcast yes. and go scroll through the credits and watch the ending scene. Uh, we'll wait. And now you should be back. And everyone who's listening now has watched through the end of the credits <laughs> because um, a never before done thing in this series, we get a the outro of the episode is after the post, all the credits. Post-credits. Yeah, post-credits yeah. outro. And they pulled a Marvel on us, man. Yeah. Which, oh, how could we expect that with John Favreau directing and creating? I know her. Um, so we quick cut quick cut out of the credits back to Tatooine, the iconic two sons and slowly pan over to Jabba's palace. And, um, we go inside and Bib Fortuna is sitting on the <laughs> throne of Jabba the Hutt. If you don't remember that is a hut. Yeah. Yeah. I it's, we'll get to that, I guess in a second, if you don't remember who Bib Fortuna is, he's like, he was the right-hand man of Jabba the Hutt. He seemed kind of like a lackey to me, sort of a translator. He spoke to Jabba for anyone who wasn't speaking Hatties. He translated for them. He seemed to maybe be the guy who ran the shop uh, while, yeah. while Jabba the Hutt was in charge. Um, but he's there surrounded by a couple of of uh, nefarious folk, and he's got uh, the... It looks like the same blue Twi'lek dancer girl chained up who was mm-hmm. chained up before. Um, and um, you hear like a couple blaster shots up the staircase. So like they did a good job of recreating this scene. I don't know where this yeah. set was originally, if they dug it out of the basement and shot on it again. <laughs> um, but it felt a lot like it looked, although it's in a much different state. There was not as much stuff in there. Uh, there wa- mm-hmm. wasn't the kind of like party atmosphere that we saw most of the time when Jabba the Hutt was there. Um, it was pretty sparse and it's, I mean, it was always dark in there, 
Um, I feel like it's a pretty lame palace for like, when you call it a palace, it's more like a a dungeon. Um, but we hear the blaster shots. Bib sends some Gamorrean soldiers over to check it out. They get shot before they even get a few steps up. And then we see Fennec Shand come down the stairs, shoot like all the rest of the guys in the room. She blasts the chain on the Twi'lek girl and kind of nods for her to run off. And then uh, Boba comes down the stairs and Bib Fortuna starts to like immediately start groveling. It's like, Oh, Boba, I'm so happy to see you. I, oh, I, I thought you were dead. <laughs> I heard rumors. Uh, this is so great. And like Boba just pulls out his pistol and blasts him <laughs> I, right away. I, I think he says something along the lines of, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're totally going to come back for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, so everyone's been cleaned out. Boba like walks up and pulls his body off of the throne. He sits down himself. Fennec Shand comes up behind him holding a bottle of Spotchka, of course, takes a swig, and then we cut to black, and then the letters, um, the book of Boba Fett come up, coming Christmas 2021. Yeah. And uh, pretty pretty excited about that. They obviously held this information out of the recent um, Mm -hmm. release of all the new series so that they could get this surprising, you know, spinoff, which was pretty cool. Favreau said that uh, he was, he was allowed to uh, keep that one ace in the hole so as to not um, sort of rain on Kathleen Kennedy's party. Yeah. And uh, there he was, he was allowed to just let that, let, you know, sink that one in. Yep. So we're going to, we have to say, and I think it was confirmed today, that this is not a continuation. Well, let me rephrase that. This isn't season three of The Mandalorian. Right. This is its own standalone thing. Yeah. We don't know how long it would be, whether a season or, or a few. But That's what my, my it, dad just asked me that because my, my parents just got into The Mandalorian like last week when we came to visit them. My, my kids got them into it. <laughs> and they literally... They they watched four or five with the kids, and then um, we moved on to see some other family, and they binged all of season one and two, <laughs> the rest of it. So they're all up to speed in no time, because um, it's just that good. But yeah, they were like, "Is this is this what season three is like? Is the Mandalorian story over, and we're switching over to Boba?" But no, this is a another. This what's that four spinoff series from the Mandalorian? It's pretty insane. Mm-hmm. We've got. The, the, you've got Ahsoka, the, the buddy cop. you've got the Buddy Cop Republic Rangers, yep. Ahsoka. Um, you've got Book of Boba, and I think that's it. Okay, in the Mandalorian timeline, Maybe. is those is those three. Okay, and then uh, there are other shows, but they they're going to take place in different parts of the timeline. Yep. Um, but anyway, it's a it was a, a great spinoff attempt, and um, yeah, loved loved that little scene there at the end so chris what did you think of this finale in season two in general wow i don't honestly man i don't even know where to begin this has been i feel like everything that the show has been culminating okay how i feel or what this episode made me feel is exactly the way that i felt watching the Mandalorian for the first time. This reveal of Luke Skywalker showing up Mm. and him taking Grogu is exactly the same way that I felt 
when Mando walks in to the pram and you see the child's pointy little ears and his, his tiny little claws, you know, reaching out to Mando, that feeling that we're like, wait a minute, what's going on? So many questions are, are coming up right now. I have, what is going to happen with the rest of the Star Wars universe? That feeling that I got where eight-year-old Chris is like excited again, that's exactly how I felt at the end of this episode. Yeah. And I really appreciate that all the work in terms of the writing, into the direction, into the production, into the acting, the casting, just this felt like a true Star Wars film. Yeah. In in my opinion. And it was excellent storytelling from beginning to end. <clears throat> Excuse me. This season was was great, even though the first I'd say three episodes kind of felt like fillers. Yeah. But when you're looking at it in hindsight, you realize, well, really everything was culminating up to this point and they just needed to fill in the gaps before and after. Yeah. Um, so they get a pass at that. Um, but I feel like it was, they've done an excellent job reminding us yeah. what the core of Star Wars is, which is that feeling of, that feeling of fantasy, I guess, mm -hmm. of, you know, that there's good in the world and that, you know, the ability to um, show love and compassion and empathy wins out over those that are focused on strength and power. Yeah. Well, there's been this meme floating around with the J.J. Abrams quote from, from five or six years ago when he's like, it's impossible to uh, satisfy original trilogy Star Wars fans and reach new fans. And the second half of the meme is John Favreau <laughs> saying, hold my beer. Hold my beer. Um, and I, I really do yep. feel that like uh, someone who a, a friend of mine was um, her brothers are super into the original trilogy and they've kind of refused to watch any of the rest of the Star Wars stuff. They haven't seen the prequels or sequels or anything that like they they're they're very originalists they liked how that first series was and they, they didn't want to explore anything else and i i said to her i said you should you should tell them to check out the mandalorian because it feels so true to the original mm -hmm. trilogy and brings out new stories that i feel like you could tolerate it even if you were like an originalist um yeah but still get so much out of the new story and development yeah, because Dave Filoni is a kid totally. who grew up to still love Star Wars, but gets to, but is paid to write his fan fiction. Yeah. And it's great fan fiction mm -hmm. because it's meant for the fans and those who appreciate the Star Wars universe by implementing these new elements, uh, in term, new in terms of the timeline, implementing original elements. Like he's basically writing the story of, of Mandalore as they go along outside of what was originally originally written in in legends but he's also calling back all the great stuff that George Lucas brought out uh from many years ago from the from the original trilogy yep so this show really does have a little bit of everything for for everybody yep and the way that it's appealed to so many different types of people like my in-laws are into it they love baby yoda yeah it's weird how many people's moms and dads are into yeah, baby like yoda I said, my parents of, just started watching it too and they got totally hooked yeah. So and my, and my, kid, my what, kids and my parents both got hooked to it in the same way. 
and they yeah. obviously see the world in such a different way. Um, yeah. And I mean, us too, you and I both. So I experienced three generations of people being really into the same series at the same level, um, but having totally different you know, experiences in life. Yeah. It's really cool. It's a great time to be a nerd, man. <laughs> it is. So thanks to everyone who's been listening to our show. We are at the end of season two, and um, we're going to be going on a brief hiatus for the rest of the year and into 2021. Chris and I are talking through what the potential episodes and schedule looks like for the next year. We'll probably go to something different than every week, but we are committed to continuing to bring you awesome Star Wars content. So we know we've talked to some of you about maybe doing some fan episodes where we talk about some of the movies together, or we might talk about some of the Clone Wars and Rebels series that we've referenced in episodes in the past. So we definitely want to keep in touch with everyone and uh, stay tuned to our Instagram page for more updates on, on what the schedule looks like for 2021. Thank you all for listening. That's all for this episode. We really appreciate your continued support and we appreciate all the, the love and the appreciation that you've shown through this podcast these last 16 weeks. If you liked this episode or you've liked our last two seasons of the show, please be sure if you haven't to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It, um, it's super helpful for helping us get found by other fans of The Mandalorian and Star Wars in general. You can also follow us on Instagram at Death Watch Podcast our Twitter at DeathWatchCast, and we're also on TikTok at DeathWatchCast. So if you have any comments or suggestions for what our future episodes could be, you can also email us at DeathWatchPodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to bring in, uh, apply your input, whatever it may be. Thanks for listening. This is the way. This is the way.